Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is Coach Danielle Hurt, aka Run With Coach D. Danielle's been a coach for over a decade, and along with being a 13-time marathoner, a baker's dozen of marathons, if you will, and a 25-time half marathoner, she is also a certified running coach and certified personal trainer. Now, our topic today is about training for a race, specifically a half or full marathon, when your finish time, your goal time, puts you towards the back of the pack. How does that training differ when you're looking at a three-hour half marathon or a six-hour marathon? Are there specific things that are important for you? Danielle, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Awesome, Elizabeth. Thank you for the invite. So first up, I want to hear about your story, your origin story. How did you become a runner and how did you get to where you are today as a coach? Awesome. I actually started running. It's crazy now that I say a decade ago, because forever, I feel like I was telling people I just started running. I just started. I feel like I was saying that forever. Um, but it actually 2011 was my first official race. Um, I was a never runner. I actually used to have a doctor's note to get on the mile in high school. Um, I never ran in college. I tried to run in college, tried so hard. It didn't work out. Um, and Life, as many of us, when we start running, it's usually a life altering, a relationship, a job change, something really big happens and we need to escape. Um, So that's what happened to me. I started running in 2011, uh, my first 5K, and I remember finishing that 5K feeling on top of the world. Like if you're my athlete, you've heard me say this story before. I finished and I was like, guys, I'm going to Dunkin' Donuts. Friends, oh, I can't hang out after I'm running a 5K. I might be really sore. And I just remember just like, it was this huge, like I, t- I put on my calendar, it was this huge thing. Um, and ran that first 5k. I couldn't tell you the time, 34, 38 minutes, something like that. Um, and it was just a big moment for me from there. I did go on to run my first marathon 11 months later. Uh, so like many of us, we start quick and fast. Um, I'm an all in type of girl. I'm not somebody that beats around the bush. So I went from never running to running a marathon in 11 months. Um, in that time frame, I did build up to a 10 miler, then built up to a half marathon. And then six months after that did my marathon. Um, so I didn't go from zero to 60. I did put some smart goals along the way. Um, with that, I then started coaching about three and a half to four years later. Um, I had been a group exercise instructor uh, in college. And then from there, I started teaching at local uh, gyms where my new job was and found that I really loved helping people achieve their goals and helping people see the strength and the inner athlete that they had within them and wanted to help other people kind of one, not make the mistakes that I made when I first started running. Uh, Biggest mistake I ever did. And she knows I'm going to say the story. It's my first time runner story. Um, I asked how to start running. My best friend said, run four miles every day until it doesn't hurt. Don't do that. So that's, oh my God, uh, please I don't do to, that. <laughs> no, do not run four miles a day until it doesn't hurt. That was the worst advice I ever got. Um, we are still friends this day. She's still my best friend. Um, we've run many marathons together and uh, I don't do that anymore. Um, but so I wanted to help people. So I got my cert- first certification with RRCA, Roadrunners Club of America. Uh, and I've been a running coach since then. Uh, I've been taking on mostly novice, beginner, intermediate athletes um, from the 5K to the marathon. 
have trained a couple 50K uh, trail and road runners in between. Um, and then as of last February, so February 2020, I actually took my business um, full time, um, left my corporate position, and I'm a full time personal trainer, running coach, um, group exercise instructor, you name it. Uh, and it was the best decision that I've ever made. And I like that you say a lot of your clients are newer runners, beginner runners, novice runners, because there is this conception that if you work with a running coach, it means you are at a certain distance, a certain pace range. But actually, I think some of the runners who can benefit most from coaching are runners who are new to the sport. Exactly. And a lot of that comes from don't make the mistakes that we did. We've all made those mistakes. Let's save the stress fractures. Let's save the nauseous stomach. Let's save the terrible. Yes, we're all going to have terrible long runs at some point, but we can help make them less terrible or less often. Um, yeah, exactly. The newest runners, they are ones that can benefit from you know what, what works. We can give you the shortcuts. We can get you and you don't have to do all those you know uh, mistakes that we've made. Um, but also we can make it more, you know, more pleasant. Um, I always joke and a runner comes to me as a never runner or a first time marathoner. Uh, I believe to date, I don't have any first time marathoners that have not gone on to a second marathon. They've enjoyed the process so much that they are willing to do it again. Um, and I think that just speaks volumes to why hiring a running coach, because we do make the, the journey more pleasurable. And that's kind of the whole premise behind why I started running explained is because I, I mean, I feel like I made most of the mistakes one can make when I was a new runner and most of them being completely avoidable was like, I need to tell people how to avoid making these yeah. same mistakes. So here we are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly a new runners. I mean, it's also really intimidating when you first start running. And I, I mean, I still remember going to the track for the first time and being like, I, I don't, how many times around is this? Like I didn't do track in high school or college. Um, I didn't even run the mile. So like, I didn't even know how many times around was a mile. Uh, and I was too intimidated to walk up to the people with the short shorts and the tank tops. And I didn't even know what was called a singlet, like all these little things that if I had a coach that either would what introduce me, you know, I'm not extroverted as many people might not believe I'm not extroverted. Uh, so I won't walk up to somebody and to start talking. So it would have been nice to have a coach, but at the time, you know, 10 years ago, you only thought of that as that's available for the elites or for somebody who's running a 21 minute 5k, that's the person who gets the coach. No, no, not anymore. Now coaches are available for the masses and so many running coaches out there. There's so many different uh, levels of coaching that there is a way for you to get involved with the running coach and get, uh, you know, the information. 100%. And the, the fact that every coach is kind of a little bit different and not just the relationship style, but the tend, you know, the runners with whom they tend to work with. That's also really important too, because our topic today, we're talking about when you're training for a long distance race, three hour, half, six hour, full marathon. Sometimes when runners have those time goals, they can look at a lot of the mainstream running information out there and think, well, this doesn't really feel like it applies to me. I'm not really sure that I feel included in this training information that's being disseminated here, because it can sometimes feel as much as most runners are literally the nicest, nerdiest, dorkiest people in the world. And I'm sure the strangers of the track in their short shorts and singlets would have been more than happy to explain to you how many laps around what mile was. It can feel very intimidating. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's a, we are very inclusive as a community and it's the odd man out if somebody's not inclusive, 100%. So first off, we're going to 
start and talk about when you're training for, we'll talk about goal setting, basically. If you have a certain goal, you want to finish a half marathon, a full marathon, and you're aiming for a time that does put you towards the back of that pack, what is a good guideline for when you are even ready to start training for that distance? Yeah, um, absolutely. So I focus mostly on, you know, half and full marathons. I would say anybody who's coming to me that is focusing on a half marathon, we use that. It's kind of in the middle and you could just kind of double it to for marathon. But for a half marathon or if your expected finish time is somewhere in that two and a half to three hour range, um, some of the guidelines or, you know, before we start training, I'd want you to at least have a race under your belt. A race, 5K, 10K, just get the experience of being at the start because running is one thing, but when you're surrounded by other people and you're going to run faster than you normally do because there's going to be a lot of energy on the course, I want you to kind of already have that feeling and understanding of what's this race going to feel like. Understand how bib, bib, you know, pickup works. Understand how the start line, the waves, just have a general understanding of how the race concepts work. Um, But then from a technical perspective, if someone's coming to me with a half marathon, I would want them to at least have the ability to run four miles. And when I say run, that could be a run walk. Uh, run walk does not mean you're not a runner. Uh, as long as you can get yourself four miles, that's all I care about. Uh, and I would want you running for at least six months, if not longer, preferably. Um, but that minimum for me is kind of like six months. Um, if I'm training someone for a marathon and they're a never runner, or they've been out of season for a while and they're just getting themselves started. I want them to be running consistently for a year. Uh, one thing that I work on a lot with my athletes is consistency. Uh, I don't care if you only get out and do 20 minutes a day, you do 20 minutes a day for four months. That is way more consistent than somebody who's done 40 minutes every other day for one month. I'd much rather work with somebody who's a lot more consistent. Uh, it's going to leave less room for injury. It's going to show me that you're dedicated because um, half marathons is, and marathon is nothing to sneeze at. It's almost like a part-time job to train for these. Uh, so that just kind of tells me that you're in the right mindset as well. And for some of these big races, when you're signing up for people say, I have this goal, we typically do sign up for the months, if not almost a year in advance. So, you know, it's okay to take the proper time that you need. I know a lot of people are like, well, I had, there's a race next month. And I'm thinking, no. No, 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 no. Please just take the big picture. There are more races to come. Signing up for a race that gives you the appropriate amount of training time is really what's going to be important to your success on race day. Exactly. Yeah. Having that time on, you know, time under belt and time under feet are, again, if you're following me, if you are an athlete of mine, that's something you hear me say all the time time on feet, time on feet, time on feet. Uh, if I start working with an athlete that is, you know, maybe their journey is weight loss journey and they're coming to me, Danielle, I have this goal of completing a half marathon and I'll say, okay, well, what, what do you want to do? And they'll say, okay, this fall. Okay. Why this fall? What's your goals between that? And we kind of break down what those bigger goals are and saying, okay, well, what if we did a 10 K first? And then based on the performance of 10 K, then we'll take it. Because another thing to remember is we're running for a lifetime. Um, I don't know many runners that are going to be, you know, one and dones and they're just coming out to run, uh, one half marathon ever call quits and just, you know, just kill their legs, kill their back, kill their knees in the process. Uh, I'd much rather take a more calculated strategic approach to get you across that finish line. So you can actually enjoy the race. Uh, so yeah, don't be afraid if you're like, it's a 14 months out. I actually work with athletes, uh, especially back at the Packers that are like, Hey, my race isn't for another year. Is it too early to start with a running coach? And I'm like, no. 
we're going to have, you know, three months of strength training, maybe weight loss, maybe, you know, we're going to develop stronger muscles and work on some, uh, you know, imbalances in your legs. And that's going to help you then for the next three months, where we're going to focus on, um, you know, building out that foundation, that distance. And then we can have a six month training plan, which is going to give you plenty of opportunity for highs and lows and, you know, peak weeks, and it's just going to make it less stressful. So that was one of my questions then for people who are training, maybe they're coming from a fairly low mileage background and they're building up to the half or the full marathon. Typically when we say, you know, there are kind of general recommendations for how long those training cycles last. And for the half marathon, it's between 12 and 16 weeks for the most part for the marathon it's between 16 and 20 weeks for the most part. However, when you're coming from a lower mileage, lower time on feet place, like you just said, you need more time than that. So do you have any general, like, you know, minimum four months, five months, six months, a year? Is it kind of, you know, what, what are the kind of guidelines for yeah. choosing the appropriate <laughs> time tier? For this one, and I know everybody listening is going to be thinking like, oh, they said it again. It depends. Um, and the reason it depends is, are you coming from a high aerobic background? Perhaps you were a cyclist. Um, so I have an athlete that came to me and she's been not running for a while, but now she, but she's been cycling. She's been her Peloton for six months consistently. Um, so her aerobic capacity is pretty high compared to somebody who was doing no aerobic activity. Uh, so with that, I'm mostly focused on impact. So now we're going from a low impact sport to a high impact sport. Uh, but I work on this a lot with postpartum moms, right? When you're first coming out and you're getting your first race postpartum, let's get your aerobic capacity built up. So that's going to have a different answer than maybe someone who's coming off the couch. Um, Cause coming off the couch, you know, you might be looking at low muscle uh, tone. We're not used to any impact. There's no cardio there. Um, you know, there's a lot of other factors we have to consider. Uh, so I don't like to give hard and fast on what that is. Cause I want to take in, you know, all the other factors, but I would say generally speaking, four to six months of some type of aerobic or impact activity prior to race day. I know it depends. Sorry, everybody. It depends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this it's one, tough. so this would be interesting to hear your, your take on this, because a question that I get fairly frequently is for people who are training for a marathon and they say, well, if you, the recommendation we talk about, you know, you cap your long run at around three hours because beyond three hours, the physiological benefits, you know, the gains are pretty negligible, but the risk of injury really starts to rise. And they say, but Elizabeth, I can only run 12 or 13 miles in three hours. How is that supposed to prepare me for race day when I'm spending five or six hours on my feet in the marathon. Yeah, I get that a lot. And I can honestly, I have been there in the six hour marathon. Um, I have run with somebody and we, we ran a six hour marathon and I looked at her and I said, I think this is harder than when I ran a three, like this is, this is a tougher marathon. It's a different race. Um, so to that, I can definitely say I, I've, I've had that question many times and I kind of take two pronged approach to this. Um, kind of just depends on the athlete. If they've run that distance before, right? So if you are, have run half marathons frequently and you are consistent with that two and a half, three, three and a half hour half marathoner, we might actually do a little bit of a longer, uh, long run. So if you're a half marathoner, typically you cap your long runs, maybe that two hour mark, right? But if they've done them before and the time on feet, and I know their body can take the, uh, the impact, we might go a little bit longer, but we're doing a run walk strategy. So it might actually be more walking time because walking is going to be less impact than running. 
Uh, so we might change up the run walk strategy for the long run. And instead of doing one of my favorites is a four one, so four minutes of running, one minute of walking, I might make their long runs four two or three two or something that's going to have them more time on feet, which be a much more low impact uh, you know, activity. So that's one way to get more time on feet, but not have to worry about in, you know, increasing your risk of injury. Um, and that also works with somebody if they are just needing that confidence booster. So I get all the time from any runner, like, Danielle, why is my long run maxing out at 10 miles? I have to run a half marathon at 13 and they like want to run 13. Um, so if you need that confidence booster in normally for a mileage runner, I'll say, okay, let's run 11. I'll give you that confidence booster. We'll take it to 11. Uh, it's fine. But for someone who's going time-based, right? So many of backpackers, we do time-based programming. Um, I might just say, you know, let's add on the 15 minutes extra, make it, you know, two and a half or three and a half hours, and let's just add more walking. So that's one approach. The second approach I also use is doing back-to-back -back long runs. So what I might do in order to help this athlete prepare to run on tired legs, because that's really what they're scared about. They are nervous and are intimidated at the fact that they're going to be running on tired legs. And we don't want to put them in the position where they're running the actual race and doing 13.1 miles or 26.2 for a long run. But we want to mimic what that physiological effect's going to be. So we may have them go out either Friday night and do a 30 to 45 minute run and then wake up the next morning, Saturday, so 12 hours later, and then they're going to start their long run on tired legs. The other approach is splitting their long runs and doing a Saturday and Sunday with 24 hours of recovery in between. Your legs will still be slightly fatigued and you'll kind of mimic what that end of the race day might feel like, um, but it's not going to set you back so far that you're not going to be able to complete your next week of work. So again, many different ways to get there. It's kind of just depends, again, that famous answer on what is, what's your schedule like? Can you support doing back-to-back -back long runs? Like, can you do a Saturday and a Sunday? If not, maybe Friday night, Saturday morning will be your go-to, or you just add more walking. So it's really um, those kind of two approaches uh, I like in order to help people feel more confident going into that race. And I always also like to remind people that you're not training for this race with one long run. You're training for this race with multiple long runs with hundreds of miles, hundreds of kilometers over the course of months and months and months of training. It's about the cumulative effect, the cumulative fatigue that you put on your legs. Like that's, that's something we have to keep in mind here. People get really, and I think you're right, kind of psychologically hung up on the long, this longest long run that I'm going to do. And it's, it, that almost is like, but an afterthought. It's about all the other work you do in preparation. Exactly. And then also remembering that what you run on your long run is not what your performance is going to be on race day. Um, that is something, and I get that from both ends. I get that from middle of the Packers, front of the Packers, back of the pack. Um, they're trying to replicate what they want on race day. And that's not the purpose of your long run. Uh, so that's one of the reasons, A, why we, we cap your long runs at that three-hour mark, that 20-mile, that 10-mile mark. There, There is science behind that shows why those numbers are important, um, but we're not looking to run those days at your goal pace. If you're able to run 10 miles at your goal half marathon pace, your goal half marathon pace is too slow. You right? It, it, that's not the purpose because you are doing a workout probably two days before that. And then also probably doing another workout two days later. So your body needs time to recover. And when you go into race day, you're going to have this taper, this downtime, these 14, 10 days where the body can recuperate, replenish protein. There's a lot of other physiological things that happen and will allow you to then run faster.
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I posted something a while back about how you don't run a marathon to train for a marathon because of exactly this, the three hour cap, which is studied. It's physiology. They've done studies. And I'm going to go ahead and just go shove all the ultra people over into their own separate corner right now. We're talking about half and full marathoners right now. But I got a comment from or a message from somebody who said that the three hour cap was hurting people who were training for something in that six hour finish range because it this person had run the London Marathon and had trained with a London Marathon group that it sounded like the training for that group was inadequate in that this person did not feel prepared for the race day. This person felt specifically that the three hour cap for their long runs was what hurt them going into race day. And I feel for that person because it sucks being underprepared. It sucks feeling like you've been let down by the person or the group or this organization that was supposed to train you properly because suffering through a marathon is just one of the most awful things. But uh, this is also why it's really important that we can't just pick up any marathon training plan and say, this is the marathon training plan for me, because it depends so much on your specific background and ability that there is no such thing as a one size fits all training plan. Exactly. And that is, and that's why there's so many, and I, I love that Instagram has opened up this world for coaches like yourself and me that we're able to educate and, and be accessible to the average Joe, the average Jane. Um, so with that, you know, somebody, if you're struggling and you're with a running club and the training plan that they've given you, it's most likely a PDF and it's most likely just giving you generic paces or generic mileage. And it's a general guideline. Uh, and if you have those questions, I mean, the, the internet, there's so many coaches available, the money you would pay to have a consult call and ask those questions that you have is going to be so much better worth it. Because if that person if they had called or set up a consultation, you, know, you could talk them through and say, you know what, you're right, three hours based on your past finishing times or based on your goals, three hours does seem inadequate. What I would recommend is starting an hour earlier than your team. Let's do four hours on feet, adjust your run walk strategy to be X, Y, and Z. And you know that way you're gonna have this confidence and you'll be able to complete the, the distance. Um, or do a Friday night long run before you show up on Saturday morning you know, and then that'll give you some more, you know, you'll start, you'll start already slightly fatigued. Um, and that might help kind of give build, boost that confidence. Um, so yeah, it's a huge bummer when I do see that. And that's why I actually, I don't sell just randomized plans, um, for that sole purpose. I always want to have some access to a client. Um, so they can ask questions and I can make adjustments, but if you do have specified goals and just because you don't have a goal to run a sub four, that doesn't mean you can't hire a coach. If you have a goal to run a 5.30 and you want to finish better, hire a coach. They're going to get you there. The best coaches are going to make you feel accomplished. They're going to make you feel confident. Um, and, you know, I again, a new athlete, and she's a backpacker. She runs about five, five-hour marathon. She wants to break five one more time before she kind of retires her running career. Um, and I said to her, what's your goal? She goes, I just want to finish better. I just want to finish feeling great. And that's what running coaches can afford. We just want you to finish and cross that, that cross that line thinking, ah, oh, that felt really good. I enjoyed it. 
Um, so I, I feel like that's where I wish some of these bigger clubs would bring in and just even to making running coaches accessible uh, to their members so that somebody wouldn't have to feel like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it is so individualized. And I, mean, I, and I do sell plans, but the reason I've been kind of not wary. Well, yeah, I think wary is the right word about releasing marathon training plans is because of exactly that, that mm-hmm. reason, understanding that, you know, for shorter distances, it's, a, it's still individualization, still important. However, you know, nobody's spending three hours on their feet training right. for a 5k, right. um, so, you know, for marathon training, the plan that I have put out, which is not designed for new runners it's designed an intermediate level plan. It's actually specifically designed with a huge caveat about not going beyond three hours, contacting me if you have any questions and assuming that you're not going to be able to get more than 18 miles on your feet during the training cycle, you know, so ha- picking a plan that is, uh, and that's the, that's the intermediate plan. That's, you know, <laughs> that's, that's assuming you already have a super solid, you know, 30 mile per week at minimum base heading into the plan. It's pretty shocking to me. Some of the p- things people have messaged me that like, oh, I found this plan on the internet and it will take them up to 20, 22, 24 oh, miles in 24. training. I, I just look at them and I, I, you know, not look at them because I'm on my phone, <laughs> obviously, but I look at that plan just in shock and think, please tell me you haven't done that yet. If you have, like, did you injure yourself? Like, are you okay? Like, you know, because I do know that there are some other pretty famous plans like Jeff Galloway, Mm -hmm. his marathon training plan pretty famously actually goes up to 26 miles in a run walk format. I just can't get behind that. I'm, I'm the same. And I mean, I love Galloway. I, I follow his method for a lot of my run walkers. Um, but one is a huge time commitment and I would rather you build that aerobic base spread out throughout your week. It's, I just, I don't, that's for me. I would just, I don't, I have yet to see what the benefit is being on feet for 26 miles prior to your race. There's so much adrenaline and there's so much, there's so much other factors I'd rather work on. Um, and one of them we kind of got into yet, but like talking about nutrition, um, I would so much rather you spend time on your nutrition than spending time walking, running for an additional hour and a half. Um, it's just, I've yet to see the benefit play out. I'm sure Galloway, I'm sure he has, Jeff has great examples of how it works, but in my personal practice, I have yet to find a way that it kind of makes sense. But also from like a time perspective, people living lives, um, I just, I don't see that the benefit of it. I'd rather you go play with your kids for an hour. Just me. No, and I completely agree. I mean, yeah, I think the Galloway method is really wonderful. And there are people who run really great races using the Galloway method, but from that, that training, that specific kind of long run strategy, you're spending six hours. That's, that's just too much. Like you said, we have lives, we have things to do. I mean, so we say, you know, you have to make sacrifices when you're training for a marathon, but there is a limit. Come on. (laughs) Limit. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's definitely, I mean, I, when I work with my athletes and so I've, I do custom training and I'll, you know, at the beginning of the month, they'll get an email from me if there's anything I should work around and you still have a life. We don't get paid to do this. Um, I mean, unless someone's about to be the next Molly Seidel and just kind of show up at the Olympic trials, like, cool. Like I would love to have that athlete. Uh, but that's, let's be real. That's not most of us. Um, so we got to find a way, like I have a client who is like, Hey, my wife's 40th birthday is that weekend. I know I'm supposed to do 18 miles, but like it's her birthday weekend. And I'm like, cool, we're going to work around it. So that's when having a coach plays out really well, especially again, we're talking specifically today about the back of the Packers and it's, okay, well, how are you feeling? Are things tight? Are things sore? Is it your first, is it, is this your first long distance? We might need to take 
up to a 10 and then down to a six the next weekend and then work our way back up eight, 10, back down to eight. Like in those standardized plans that exist, don't take into account how you feel and how you need maybe additional down weeks. Um, Traditionally, you take a down week every four to six weeks, depending on your plan. But if it's your first long distance and you work a really hectic lifestyle and you've got six kids and you know what I mean? You have two dogs and an iguana, like you might need more time um, in between your high peak weeks. So with all that, I, that's why me like a standardized plan is a good guideline, but you need to know thyself and understand that just because your body doesn't fit the plan doesn't mean you're broken. Doesn't mean that you're a bad runner. Just means that plan's not for you. Let's talk about run walks. We mentioned Galloway. And so when you're doing, so run walk is a method of training. We talk about specific time intervals. We have intervals of running interfers with intervals of walking. They're usually fairly regimented, or we could also do run walk. That's more of effort based. What are the kind of the different considerations when we're training and racing with run walk versus somebody who is trying to run the whole thing, or maybe somebody who's doing mostly walking? So I have, and again, everything's, it depends. It's everybody to themselves. Um, I do have a general ish rule of thumb where if a runner comes to me and they're starting their, their paces without considering heat, without considering humidity, without considering tiredness, like taking away all those factors. If your general paces are in the 12 to 13 minute, 14 minute, especially 15 minute range, but usually around the 12 mark is where we start to have the conversation. Uh, And that's where we start to talk about it would be beneficial to bring in a run-walk strategy. And that's not to say that you're not a good runner. That's not to say that you're not a runner. Um, It's just to say we need to save some of the impact because it's very impactful running. But if we can get you walking, you're going to be able to run longer and take those rest breaks in between. It's going to reduce your chance of injury. It's going to make your running actually stronger. Your form's not going to break down as quickly. Um, And if you're consistently running a 12-minute mile, and not getting any faster, then we need to spend some time on some speed work because there should be some more efficiencies we can probably find um, in different, you know, energy pathways or something else. Uh, but I typically use that as like my introductory point. Doesn't mean that every one of my runners, if you're listening, I'm not going to make you walk if you're running a 12. Uh, it just means that's at the point where we start to talk about it, especially the longer we go. Um, we talk about because it helps to reserve some energy and it helps to you know starve off um, injury. Now. When it comes to goals, I might have some athletes that say, but I want to run the whole thing. I'm like, okay, great. Let's start with a shorter distance. Let's run a full 5K. And then let's run a full 10K. And then we'll build up to run that full half. Um, But I want every runner or everyone out there who's thinking they run a marathon without stopping. Not true. Even those four-hour marathoners, those two and a half hours, they've stopped at some point. At some point. Okay, maybe not like Kipchoge, but like somebody stops at some point to get water, to adjust their shorts, to fix their hair. We all stop. So get it out of your mind that you have to keep running without stopping. Um, I'd rather you focus on running a mile without stopping or running stronger, being able to find your zones, things like that. Um, If you're talking specifically about, you know, run-walk strategies, um, the biggest piece of advice that I have for anybody who's executing a run-walk strategy is to stick to it. So often I get runners that'll start their long runs. We'll use that for example, and they'll run for as long as they can. And then they'll walk and they'll walk until they feel good. And then they'll run again. And then that second run interval happens to be a little bit shorter than the first interval. And then the walk break gets a little longer. And then all of a sudden we're at the end of that run and they're walking more than they're running. 
And that's where my run, my coaching philosophy of start slow, finish strong. I'd rather you take a walk break in the beginning before you know that you need it. You should be walking in the beginning and thinking, I don't need to stop. I can keep going. Because then hopefully by the middle of that long run, mile four, mile five, you're thinking, oh, that walk break, it's coming soon. I don't need it, but I'm happy it's there. So then by the end of it, you're thinking, okay, that walk break's only 10 seconds away. Okay, ready, set, whew, all right. I feel good and happy to have that. And now I finish strong versus, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just walked that last mile because I'm dying. Um, that would be my biggest recommendation is to stick with a predetermined interval uh, and don't go willy-nilly with it because you'll end up crawling across that finish line. Something I've been advising some of my athletes as well as they implement run-walk strategies. For people who are used to implementing their own run-walk strategies, typically they might have an interval in mind. Maybe they're sticking to a two to one or a three to two or you know four to one mm-hmm. even. And they're kind of running all out and then taking a really slow walk break. And then they're running all out and then taking a really slow walk break. And something I like to do is say like, let's just bring all these paces much closer together. Let's slow the run way down. And that way you can maintain Mm -hmm. a brisk walk because eventually for some of these runners, we actually want to turn this into mostly running. Yes, exactly. The analogy that I use, it didn't work very well during the pandemic because we couldn't go there, but I used to say you're in target and it's not payday and you only need soap. Um, that's the pace that I want you walking. It's you're going to talk. The only thing you have one thing to buy, do not get distracted. Go. That's the pace that I expect from a walk. Um, and so people ask, well, what is that on the treadmill? And I'm like, no, 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 there's no specified pace because everybody walks differently. Um, but I, I love the announcer kind of bringing them closer together so we can start to bridge that gap. Um, I love that one, but yeah, that's fast walk through targets. What I always say, <laughs> I think we've all been there. Like I just need to get, and it's always in the back of the store. So you go yeah. all the way back to the store and you're just walking power Ooh. walk to the back of the store, power walk back to the register, exactly. get back out, <laughs> get what you need and get out. Exactly. That's what we want to make sure. And that's again, so we don't start that leisurely stroll. Because the other thing we don't want to happen is we don't want our heart rate to dip so low. And we don't want those massive spikes, especially on a long run. Um, we don't want to see our heart rate up to 85% of max and then come back down, you know, to just, you know, 20 beats above resting. Uh, we want those heart rates because then to your point, when it starts to meld and come together, we should be in sitting somewhere below, you know, 75, 78% of max heart rate, um, which is where we'd want our run to kind of uh, level out at. What about for runners who really find any running pace is immediately in a very hard effort zone? So for runners who are saying, there's no running pace I can sustain that doesn't put me at 85, 90% of my maximum heart rate. Yeah. So with that, I mean, a lot of factors to be, you know, kind of looked at there. And then I would look at other modes of, you know, cardio. So, okay, let's put you on a bike. So we got an elliptical. Does this happen all the time or is it only happening with running? Because if it's a heart issue, if it's something else, you know, obviously I'm not a cardiologist, that's not my realm, but is it only happening with running or is it happening in other fat, you know, other types of cardio exercise? If I'm finding it's only with running, we go to the, the breath test. So the other piece is if you're finding your heart rate by a wearable on your wrist, it's probably not accurate, um, but we'll go by the talk test. If from there, we're still finding what we can't, we're going to start to train different energy systems because something's off somewhere and you're trying to run super fast all the time. So we're going to start to do, um, you know, either 
short intervals, longer intervals, and maybe just getting walking a whole bunch more and just kind of building up what that cardio endurance is. Um, high heart rate doesn't necessarily mean bad. There's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, but yeah, there's, that's, a, that's a totally open-ended, that's got so many, it depends is tied to it. <laughs> And I think it's tough because one of the things specifically talking about training for long distance events is that you can't just muscle your way through really, really hard efforts while hoping to increase your endurance and time that you can hold them. Because, you know, the strategy of the classic, oh, I found a route around my neighborhood. I'll just run it as fast as I can every single time I go out. That's really not a very good strategy for getting faster. It's a really great strategy for getting burned out, mm -hmm. but it's not a good strategy for actually getting faster or increasing your endurance because to increase our endurance, to sustain a three hour or a six hour effort, we actually do need to spend a lot of time in that low and slow, somebody called it the rib cooking range, <laughs> you know, just like oh you gotta God. let it like, yeah, just low and slow. Yeah, just like simmer, just hang out. And a lot of times people get frustrated because we don't have patience. How many of us have we seen, you know, uh, Instagram ads or like, you know, increase your 5k or decrease your 5k speed pace overall time in 30 days. It's like, come on. Like there, no, 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 no. Like it's, we are not running. Unfortunately is a long or fortunately, depends how you look at it is a long-term game. Like this is not quick and dirty. You will find when you first start running, you will see a lot of gains really fast. And that's just physiologically what happens. You jump in and you go from never running to running. 30 to 60, 90 days, you're going to see some really great changes. You're going to see some big things. And then you're going to flatline and plateau for a really long time because you're going to change it up and change what you're doing. And a lot of people think if I just run faster, I'll get faster. Just simmer right below boiling. Sit at 211 degrees, right below boiling. Um, yeah. Oh, well, one thing I would like to talk is, and I don't know if you had a specific question towards it, but it made me think about nutrition. Um, and that to me, someone who's out there running a three hour half or a six hour marathon, the biggest, in my opinion, undervalued and least looked at is the nutrition aspect of it. Um, and not just water. Um, you can take in all the water you want on a six hour marathon. At some point, your body's going to burn through all its glycogen. It's going to, you're going to have no more glucose left in your body and you're going to need some fuel. Um, so that to me is the number one overlooked is that people think about just the running aspect, um, plan your fueling strategy and plan it early and in, and actually start it early. Uh, that's another thing that a lot of people, and this is, I guess for all runners is we don't really think about fuel until all of a sudden we're like, Oh, I need fuel. Um, we should be thinking about it way before then. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of the, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Um, you can run 10 miles without water, but you shouldn't run 10 miles without water, that type of philosophy. Um, but if you're out there for six hours, biggest thing I, that I would, that I get concerned about is runners that don't have enough, um, actual food. Um, if you want to use gels the whole time, great. But at some point I do recommend switching over to something, either a chew or even real food. Um, a banana is totally underrated on the race course. Um, bananas are magical at like five hours into a marathon. Um, even gummies, you know, getting something that's going to give your body something to do, something to work at when you're out there. Um, that to me is the most underrated, undervalued. And then when you're out there doing your long runs, practice that fueling strategy. Go ahead and try eat what you want to eat. I have runners that run eating potatoes. Um, I've had runners that run eating uh, prunes. And so to play with different things. It doesn't have to be just what they sell at the running store, uh, but definitely practice your fueling strategies. If you're out there for six hours, imagine walking around an amusement park for six hours, 
if you didn't have food on you, you would get hungry at some point. Now imagine trying to run around that amusement park, um, you know, in the sun, you know, you're sweating buckets, you're covered in salt. Uh, that, that to me is even more important sometimes than the actual training plan itself. Uh, another good source, as I say, is shop the kids aisle in the supermarket. Yes. Even like from the baby section all the way on up, you know, applesauce pouches, pureed fruit or vegetables, all the way to the little granola bars or gummy pouches or whatever it is. If it's, it's portable and snack sized, you can bring it yep. with you. Snack, exactly. They're perfect. 100, 150 calories. It's just enough. And try it often. Try it early. Um, I remember when I first started running, I was afraid to use, maybe it's because I was young and wasn't making a ton of money, but I was afraid to use like goose on my training runs. Cause I was like, these are expensive. Um, you know, they're, you know, a buck and a half, two bucks a piece. And I'm, I'm wasting them by using them on my training runs. Uh, so don't make that mistake fuel with what you know, you want to use on race day. Don't let anything be a surprise and don't expect, um, I guess one, one thing to remember is if you are running a two and a half to three hour, half marathon, a six hour marathon. I wish I could say that the uh, aid stations are going to be fully packed and they're going to have everything. Don't rely on them. Um, I've actually been to races where I've run a four hour marathon and they have run out of water. Um, so it's unfortunate that it happens. And I wouldn't necessarily say it's the racist fault. Um, sometimes it's just, it maybe it's hotter that day. So more runners are drinking water or maybe they misdelivered uh, jugs of water from one station to another. There's a lot of logistical issues that could have happened. Um, but don't expect just because they have goose on the course that there will be goose by the time you get there. Um, that would be my, my other big piece of advice is make sure you, you bring what you know you need um, and rely on yourself. What about for runners who are training for a distance event as a weight loss strategy and are running a caloric deficit and or maybe are not fueling during their runs? Let's hear your advice on that. Ooh, this one's one of, I have these conversations a lot. Um, so I personally don't like using marathon um, for a weight loss goal. Um, I find it's too taxing on the body. Uh, once we start getting to caloric deficits, then we start losing bone density. We start putting ourselves at risk for stress fractures. We, you know, there's usually some type of malnutrition that pops in because you're not eating enough. And if you are eating, you're probably not getting enough micronutrients. And it's a whole big bunch of things that go into that. Um, so if you come to me and you're like, Danielle, I want to lose weight and I want to run a marathon, I will ask you what's more important to you. What's your first goal? And nine times out of 10, they want to lose weight and they want to celebrate it at the marathon. That's traditionally what I see. Um, so with that, I would do a weight loss cycle first, which is getting them ready for time on feet and then going into some hit, you know, really spending some time, some high intensity intervals, then, you know, bringing them into steady state, um, and really putting them through maybe a 12 to 16 week weight loss cycle, similar to a foundation, um, building up for running and then going into marathon training at that same time having the conversation that they may gain some weight during their marathon training, but they will not gain the weight back. Um, we do, our weight does fluctuate when we're going through high volumes of training, your body's going to hold on to water. There's going to be some inflammation. There's going to be a lot of stuff that happens. Um, and so we're not going to become afraid of that. So that's my marathon answer. Half marathon. I actually have successfully taken runners through a 20 week to 24 week training program, um, for weight loss. Now, I will caveat it with, it was not for performance. 
you, you can't chase two birds with one stone. So you cannot chase weight loss and performance together. It's one or the other. Um, can you accidentally achieve both? Sure. First half marathon, you're going to PR regardless. So with that, I will say if you're doing a half marathon or a 10K, you absolutely can achieve weight loss and hitting those goal, um, those distance goals. But you have to also remember what's most important to me. But I'm also the trainer that people know, don't go to Danielle if you want to lose weight fast because she's not, it's not how she works. Yeah, the dietitians I've had on the podcast as well basically said, I mean, exactly that. You cannot train for performance and while in a caloric deficit, period. Mm -hmm. Those are incompatible goals because you can't build a house if you're missing materials. And Steph, the runner's dietitian was on and she said, you know, a lot of people will come to me and start working with me thinking I have all of the magical quick weight loss answers and that there aren't any. <laughs> you nailed it on the head when you said you can't build a house if you don't have all your, all your materials. You, you just can't. And I actually found this out. I'm training for a half Ironman right now. And I... Again, I was a dancer um, growing up. And so, you know, we've talked about disordered eating and you have all these types of things. I thought I was eating too much food still. I still had this like fear of food. And I talked to a nutritionist and a dietitian rather, and she gave me how much food I need to be eating to sustain the level of workouts I was doing. And I was like, how much food am I allowed to eat? I saw my carb numbers and were like stoked. I was like, I could eat all of that. And then I tried to eat it all and it was so much food. Um, so I think people underestimate the amount of food that you need to consume in order to hit some of these performance metrics, especially if you've been exercising, working out and building your base for a long time. Um, so they are completely two, two different ways of the road. Like it's two different exits we're talking about um, when you're trying to operate and train for a marathon with a caloric deficit. Like, what about for people who say, I need to lose weight so that I can become a runner? Who say, I, I can't run until I achieve X body goals. Everybody is a runner. Everybody. Um, we all are capable. If you, I wish I could like line up silhouettes of every athlete that I work with because um, there is not one body that is the same. And that is what I absolutely love about running is that everybody is allowed. Everybody can. Um, we just have to take into account, you know, what was your background? What were things you've been doing the past three, six, you know, months or maybe three, six years, right? What are some things that we have to consider? Because maybe you're right. Maybe you do need to lose some weight because it's limiting your mobility and it's limiting your ability and you don't have enough muscle and we need to build some more muscle to support the load that what you're going to run. So when we run our different joints, take on different impacts, right? We're taking on a minimum of two to four times our body weight with every step that we take, um, you know, some joints and ligaments are taking on up to 35 times our body weight, depending on how we land. Um, so with all that, you know, yes, we might need to lose weight. We don't have to. Um, so there's a lot of factors to consider for that. But no, if you put sneakers on, you go outside and no matter what you call it, call it a jog, call it a hobble, call it a shuffle. I don't care if you are moving forward and you are two feet and leaving the ground at the same time, you're running. And I don't care if you take a 30 minute walk break in between your 30 second run, you're a runner. Let's talk about race planning for those long distances at a slower pace because, and I was specifically thinking of the run Disney crowd here, because I know that those races just opened back up and they're very, very, very popular. But part of those races are you get to have your picture taken with certain characters along the course. 
but there is a course time limit. So when you're training to get under the course time limit, which is 16 minutes per mile, but you also want to get your picture taken and you're going to stand in line, you're going to be stopping and starting a lot. What are some specific things that we need to take into consideration when we're making that type of race plan? Yeah. So when you're, so I personally have, I've only ever run one Disney race and I did exactly that. Uh, my friend and I ran wine, wine and dine, the wine expo or whatever it was called. Uh, gosh, like six years ago, seven years ago now, fabulous race. I know at some point I'll run the the Disney marathon at some point. I know at some point, not now. Um, but I did notice a lot of people stopping, taking pictures. And with that, you know, that was actually my first time I ever was like, Oh, people stop during a race. And I had never even thought that you would do that. Um, so a couple of things when you're, you know, that I've used for athletes that are training for that. Um, when you're doing your long runs, don't stop your watch. If you know you're going to be running a race and you're going to be stopping and you're going to be, uh, you know, taking pictures, or even if you're just running a really scenic route, I've got somebody running Big Sur next year and they, they don't care about their time really. They just want to take it in and take pictures. Um, don't stop your watch on your long runs because you'll then actually know how long you were on your long run. Um, and I think that's something that people don't always recognize. I see it as a coach because I can see time elapsed versus time moving. So all my runners that don't think um, that I know, I know uh, how long you stopped your watch for, for water, but it's fine. It's not, I'm not judging you. It's fine. We need to take in water, go to the bathroom. Um, but that way you have a realistic perspective of how long that run actually took you. Um, so then you can assess while you're doing your long runs. Oh, do I have time to spare? Do I not? What's my most important character to stop with? Things like that. Um, so that would be one piece of advice that I would offer. And for runners who do make, maybe stop to take breaks or stretch or do water and, you know, not, no characters involved here. I've gotten some questions about how long can I stop until I cool down too much until like it, it becomes a problem. Like how long can I stay stopped until I need to really keep moving again? Oh, that one's again, it depends. Uh, it depends on what you've trained for. Um, I really don't like my athletes to stop for more than 30 to 60 seconds, to be completely honest. Um, I find if you, and I don't let my athletes sit, um, I see all the time people will stop on their long runs and sit down because they need a break. Keep moving, keep your body moving. Um, so if you're going to wait in line, find a way you can pace, keep your body moving. Um, that's going to be more important to me than stopping in general. Um, so unless, I don't know what you tell your athletes, I haven't trained a ton um, that need to have stops, but for me, in general, when they're talking about aid station stopping, that 30 to 60 is usually my limit. Anything over that, I'm like, you're going to start locking up. Yeah. It's more of like a, I need to stop and stretch. Well, okay. If you need to often stop and stretch during your run, there is something else at play here. If you are, you know, getting stiff, if your muscles are getting tight while you're running, that is a sign that there's some sort of imbalance or dysfunction or weakness in your body, maybe we need to get a physical therapist to address that and work on strengthening key aspects of your major muscle groups or even your stability muscle groups. That's not normal. Yeah, occasionally we all, something happens and stop every now and then. But if you're often stopping yep. to stretch something out on your run, that should be addressed. Exactly. Um, stopping for like water or something like that. If you need to stop to hydrate, I often recommend just walk walk and hydrate at the same time. Don't actually stop. You yes. can, you know, walk with your water bottle, keep walking. 
Even better though, if you can just slow down the pace a little bit, because if you can get used to hydrating and fueling while moving, that's just gonna be more beneficial for race day. And if you're not used to it, it's gonna feel really weird. I think it took me about six months to learn how to, well, that's not true. I'm still learning how to drink water on a run without inhaling it. So it's an ongoing thing. Pinching the cup. It's funny. I talk to new athletes all the time. I'm like, today we're going to learn how to pinch a Dixie cup. And they're like, I have to learn that. I'm like, yes, you do. Pinch You're the top into a funnel so you get to pour it into your mouth. In a funnel. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I still can hardly take gels as I'm moving. I have to stop to take a gel, mostly because I'm not coordinated to open them um, while moving and holding a water bottle. Um, but yeah, I definitely recommend you yeah, moving through an aid station. And then while we're on the aid station topic, don't go to the first station, go to the second, third, or even the last station. I actually always recommend grab the kid who's been standing there with a cup for the longest amount of time and take his cup. Uh, cause no one, t- no one's taking it. Um, but yeah, definitely keep moving through those aid stations. And something else I want to talk about kind of the last thing, and we, we briefly chatted about this before the episode, but the way that we talk to ourselves is really, really important. The way that we, the story we tell ourselves about who we are really matters because it impacts not only our performance, but our overall well-being. And I get a lot of messages from people who start with qualifying statements like, well, I'm a really slow runner, but, or does run walk still count as running? I don't feel like a real runner. Like the, the, the messages that are for me, like heartbreaking. Like if you run, you are a runner, the period. Like Danielle said earlier, like that, that is who you are. If you run, you are a runner. What are some of the kind of the things that you've seen, some of the tips and tricks we can learn just to be nicer to ourselves and embrace what we can do rather than beating ourselves up for what we can't do? Yeah, it's, I mean, that is such a loaded question because there are so many aspects to that. And I constantly, it's actually in my coaching contract with my clients. Um, I am not a therapist. Uh, I've gone through some stuff in life. Um, when we are working out together and we are training together, you're going to go through some stuff. Uh, and I will help you as much as I feel you know able to. Uh, but the one thing that I constantly come back to is, would you say that to your best friend? honest to God, would you actually say that to your best friend? Um, like in from the heart, because when we talk to ourselves, we're really not being silly about it. We're like, when someone messages you or, and says, you know, Hey, I'm a really slow runner, but you know, I have this goal, do whatever. You're not saying that you're a really slow runner in this, like, haha, like poking fun. So would you actually say that to your best friend? Would you look at them and be like, you're not a runner. You're really slow. Like, no, you wouldn't. Um, and so I think sometimes we have to remember that we are going to spend the rest of our lives with ourselves, how we talk to ourselves is going to impact our performance. Um, and it's something that I'm very quick to correct my athletes on, uh, when we're at a track or something and they'll go, I'm so slow. And I'll be like, how do you know? You don't even know what your time is. I didn't even say your time. How do you know you're slow? What, 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 what are we basing that on? And then I'll tell them their time and they're like, wow, that's fast. So a lot of times take a weigh all these metrics that you think you know, because what's fast to you, um, like if we were to sit here and compare marathon times and compare, you know, our long run times, Elizabeth and I might, we might walk away and be like, wow, I'm really slow or wow, she's really fast or wow. And all of a sudden, what you thought you knew about yourself, you've completely like broken it down and it, you're, it's, it's, it's just not worth it. So biggest thing I come back to is just what would you say to your best friend? Would you honestly say that? 
And I think sometimes we forget that even if we're not the leader in the room, we're not the coach, we're not the instructor, we're not the teacher, we still have an opportunity to influence and to show others. And so you may not realize it, but somebody is watching you and somebody is seeing the way you talk to yourself. Um, I use this example a time with my, uh, my mom clients and we talk about what, you know, it's not what's taught, it's what's caught. So if you are constantly, you know, saying, oh, I'm fat or, oh, I'm not fast, your child is going to pick up a piece of that and you don't want to pass that on. And I, I don't know any parent that's agreed with me and said, actually, I, I do want to pass it on. Um, we don't want to pass that on to our children. Um, <laughs> like I don't have kids, but I have nieces. I have, you know, a goddaughter and I don't want them to grow up in a world where they're saying I'm not enough. And so I, I think about that a lot. Uh, and, and reminding myself what I want a child to hear me say this, what I want to see a child say this, um, Maybe that's a little bit more impactful than saying your best friend, because I'm sure we're all buttheads to our best friends every now and then. <laughs> and I also think it's really hard to comp- to be in a place where on Instagram, people do spend a lot of time talking about the things that they've done in their workouts and not taking it personally or comparing yourself to numbers, which are, I mean, at the end of the day, meaningless. There's always going to be somebody slower. There's always going to be somebody faster. And what matters is the kind of runner that you are and whether you're working towards becoming your best self, because you don't, there are so many things we don't see on social media. You don't know how many decades somebody has been running. You don't know that maybe that person's parents are freaking Olympians and they won the genetic lottery. You don't know that person had hernia surgery last week. You don't know that person, whatever it is, there's always so much more to the story about within a snapshot in time of where this person is currently. And that's kind of the, how that perspective that we don't see all the things that are behind that pace. All we see is the pace and then we make a judgment about it. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, we compare it. And another thing I constantly say is like the comparison is the thief of joy. The moment we start comparing ourselves to others, we start to take away the pride that we should have in what we've done ourselves. And, you know, you're giving up and you're, you're, you're giving somebody else the opportunity to influence how you feel by yourself. Um, and it, you have to have that from the inside out. And so yeah, comparison, thief of joy, 100%. Um, and yeah, Instagram does, I love it because it brings together like-minded people like, you know, you and myself, like, I love that piece of it. And we were talking about before the episode, the dark side of Instagram where the green tea detox diets are and these, you know, 30 minute abs, you do this every day and you'll have a washboard ab and that exists. Um, but that's one, they're probably trying to sell you something, um, trying to make a quick buck off you or there's not the full story, right? You're not seeing all the pieces to it. So compare your own journey. And if you really are questioning where you're at and if, you know, can I get faster? Am I slow? I'm not comfortable where I'm at. Hire a coach, reach out, get consult with a coach. I'm sure you send them your data. Someone will be able to look through. I can easily, I get information from a, you know, a client or someone's interested. I'll do a consult with them and be like, yeah, you know, these paces all make sense based on the training availability that you have based on your history and based on your goals. I think you're doing awesome or yeah, there's some room for improvement. We can do this and change this. So I think there's, there's a lot of opportunity for more dialogue um, and just and getting a professional's opinion versus that in fit fluencer. Is that what they're called? Fitspos. Um, and using that as your comparison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just because somebody is fast does not mean they know what they're talking about. So you can have somebody who is really fast and, genuinely does not know what they're talking about or is only 
parroting talking points that they don't actually understand the concepts behind. So that's also important. If you are looking up to somebody in that fitfluencer realm, does this person actually know what they're talking about? Does what they're saying jive with the things that I'm hearing from other accounts, from people who are registered dietitians, who are physical therapists, who are professionals in the field, or is this just what I want to hear? You know, that is that because mm -hmm. we give the most weight to the information, the confirmation bias, right? We give the most weight to the oh. information that confirms something that we have previously held belief or something that we want to believe. And yeah. so sometimes it's, it's having a hard conversation with yourself about, is this something that I just want to believe or is this something that is true? Yep. The best truth we need is the one we don't want to hear. Yep. <laughs> it's the one we want. The one that makes you the most uncomfortable is the one you need the most. Mm -hmm. Yep. So yeah. Danielle, if somebody wanted to hire you as their coach and have you tell them uncomfortable truths. <laughs> oh, my athletes would be like, that's her. She'll tell you all day uh, in a nice way. <laughs> um, so yeah. I know we're you're on Instagram because that's where we got connected. So um, this mm -hmm. has been a wonderful conversation and I'm looking at the clock and that's the only reason I'm thinking, you know, we probably have to stop talking at some point today. <laughs> um, but tell us, yeah, are you taking new clients right now? Yes, I am. So I'm still currently taking one-on-one um, -on -one, um, custom training clients. So I am based in the DMV area. So Washington, DC, Virginia, Maryland. Um, uh, but you don't have to be local to be an online training client. I have clients um, from Florida, Michigan to California. Um, you can find me at runwithcoachd on Instagram or online on my website, www.runwithcoachd.com. Uh, so I do one-on-one -on -one training. I also have a group training, um, which is that hybrid level between a custom plan and one-on-one -on -one coaching. So if you're not quite ready for a full-time running coach, but you're like, want to tip your toe in the water, uh, I do have a distance team that you can be a part of. Uh, and then if you're local to the DMV, I do offer one-on-one -on -one in-person uh, running training and personal training. Well, this has been wonderful. And everything that Danielle just mentioned is going to be linked in the show notes. So you can find her, follow her on Instagram, see if she might be a good coaching fit for you. If you are looking for a coach and this is where I'm supposed to plug myself, but you know what? She's my guest and I really like her. So if you like her too, you Aww. should go check her out. <laughs> uh, I think I, oh, she's so sweet, Elizabeth. <laughs> Um, but I really appreciate your time. This was this was really wonderful. And I know at some point we'll probably have to have another conversation about something else. But I hope that people who listen today learned a bit about something about training for their specific goals and maybe could help them make some really good choices as they train for their race. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Elizabeth. It was a great chat with you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find me on Instagram at runningexplained or at my website, runningexplained.co. If you have a question you'd like to have answered, you can submit it in my stories every Monday or email me at elizabeth at runningexplained.co. That's E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H at runningexplained.co. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.